there we go. So, I would like to take a minute to ponder aloud what our responsibility as Christians is in our current, well, in 2020, <laughs> with all of, all of the bizarre implications that this year has had for, for life. It has been a radical shift from what was normative into a completely new reality with all sorts of new questions and challenges that we have to have to sift through biblically and by faith. Today I don't I'm not specifically wanting to talk about any specific issue and how we interact politically or socially or whatever. I want to talk more about our hearts as Christians and what our responsibility is as believers. How do we walk in this day and age as believers first and then as Americans? I'm going to start in the book of Isaiah. If you would like to turn to Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 12. I'm actually going to start in verse 9. Be broken, O peoples. And be shattered, and give ear all remote places of the earth. Gird yourselves, yet be shattered. Gird yourselves, yet be shattered. Devise a plan, but it will be thwarted. State a proposal, but it will not stand. For God is with us. For thus Yahweh spoke to me with mighty power, and instructed me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, You are not to say it is a conspiracy, in regard to all that this people call a conspiracy. And you are not to fear what they fear, or be in dread of it. It is Yahweh of hosts, whom you should regard as holy, and he shall be your fear, and he shall be your dread. Then he shall become a sanctuary, but to both the houses of Israel a stone to strike and a rock to stumble over, and a snare and a trap for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many will stumble over them, then they will fall and be broken, they will even be snared and caught. I want to zoom in on verse 12 there. 12 and 13, you are not to say it is a conspiracy in regard to all that this people call a conspiracy, and you are not to fear what they fear or be in dread of it. It is Yahweh of hosts whom you should regard as holy, and he shall be your fear and he shall be your dread. In our culture today, there's a lot of conspiracy being cried. There is a lot of fear going around in, in American culture. And is this verse telling us that there's no such thing as conspiracies? Or that we as Christians are supposed to hide our heads in the the sand and not pursue justice, not speak out when there might be ungodly conspiracies? No, absolutely not. That's not the point of, of this verse. The point of this verse is whether there are conspiracies, whether there are our trials, whether there is tyranny, Whatever the case may be, our calling as Christians is to not be afraid. The Lord shall be our fear. The Lord shall be our dread. Not, and our dread, we dread Him, we fear Him in His power and in His holiness, but we fear Him as children fear a loving Father. So it's not, it's not advocating abject terror of God, but rather turning to Him as our refuge and not being afraid in the days in which we live. So don't be afraid. And a practical note on that, 
Don't spend more time on Facebook than you do in the Word. Amen. Because you will be afraid. There is, there is plenty to be afraid of out there if our minds are not girded up in God's truth, in God's sovereignty. Speaking of God's sovereignty, another, so this would be number two, number one, we should not be afraid as believers. We should trust in and fear only God and His sovereignty. Number two, this should not be a faith-shaking experience. For me, it has been. It has been challenging. It's been scary. It's like, where are you, Lord? Look at, look at all the crazy stuff going on. Why, why don't you rise up, O oh Lord? But if anything, this should be a faith-affirming experience because what is happening in our nation today is exactly what Scripture would lead us to expect would happen to a nation that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. A nation that murders innocent children, a nation that exalts sexual perversion, a nation that practices political tyranny and oppression, where there is theft, where there is even the simple exaltation of our own, we're prosperous and we're happy that way. We're fat and happy and we don't need God. I have my, my good food. I have my Netflix. Who needs God? Is this not America the Great, which my hands have made? Well, what does God do to nations like that? This. So, this should not shake our faith. This should affirm our faith. God is on the throne. It is not a matter of one day God will bring judgment. God is now showing himself faithful to not allow the exaltation of man against him. He is not sitting idly by and watching the Tower of Babel be constructed. He is acting. And that should give us hope because he is our fear. He is sovereign. He is on the throne. So this should be faith affirming to see things falling apart. And where do we go in scripture to see that that is a that God brings judgment for lack of belief? Well, one place you can go first, I mean you can read basically any of the prophets, but you can also go to Romans chapter 1 where it says professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity that their bodies might be dishonored among them. In verse 28, the, the, the regression continues. In verse 28, it says again, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. So there's this idea that you deny God and He gives you over to more. More of the sin which you, you wanted, you left Him for. And He continues to give it and continues to give it. So the descent into insanity is the judgment of God on a rebellious nation. So then, what is our duty as Christians? We shouldn't be afraid. Our faith should be affirmed by seeing a sovereign God bringing judgment. Number three, what about patriotism? Do we want to preserve America? Is our goal to preserve America? We just celebrated Independence Day. I mean, I, you can tell I like America. So how do we like America as Christians? Is it okay to like America as Christians? Well, I would say the answer is absolutely if you do it right. If it is done in a way that honors Christ first. Scripture tells us that we are sojourners and strangers in this world. 
And that is a perspective we cannot lose. Jesus constantly reaffirms the idea of having a focus on the kingdom to come, a focus on the eternal life, the rewards that will not fade away. America is a great place to live, and I am thankful to be here. And it's more than that. It's not just, hey, you know, it's great as long as it's here. No, I have an attachment for and a love for this country. We are blessed to be Americans. We have specific callings and duties as Americans. We have received a heritage that we should uphold and honor because it's a biblical heritage. It is based on biblical principle. However, at the end of the day, we seek first the kingdom of God. And when Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail over it, the gates of hell may or may not prevail over America. America may repent and rise up and be a city on a hill again, or America may fall into the ash heap of history. But the church of Jesus Christ will remain. And so our first allegiance is to Christ, regardless of what happens to this country. Now, we pray for our country. We vote. We speak up. We pursue all manner, uh, and I'm sure we'll get into this more on future Sundays, but we pursue all manner of biblical proclamation of God's word and application of God's word to our relationship with the government and to the politics. We want to be faithful American citizens, but that's a secondary category. We are Christians first, and that gives us, that gives us courage and freedom to act as Christ would have us to act, regardless of what happens to the nation, regardless of who gets elected, because we are inheriting a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So what do we do? Well, we preach the word. In the book of Isaiah, God tells Isaiah, you have his, um, Isaiah's vision, he says, here am I, send me. And then God tells Isaiah, go and tell this people, keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim, lest they see with their ears, hear with their eyes, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until cities are devastated and without inhabitant, houses are without people, and the land is utterly desolate. In other words, Isaiah, go preach the word, and they're not going to listen. Now, is that always the case? No. We have Jonah as the other example. God sends Jonah and says, Jonah, preach the word. And what happens? Sweeping repentance. And God spares Nineveh. Both have biblical precedent. Which one's God going to do? We don't know. But our job as Christians is to preach the word, the whole word, not to compromise the word, not to blend the word with the ideas of the day to make it more acceptable, but to take God's word and say, thus saith the Lord, and let him do what he will do through his word, whether that is bring judgment or bring repentance. That is our duty as Christians. So what does it mean to preach the word? That includes preaching the gospel. Well, really, it's all preaching the gospel. It is preaching the gospel and whatsoever I have commanded you, the entire counsel of God applying it to every area of life. So that's why you can't just get people saved and then move into critical race theory and then move into Marxism and then bring in these godless ideologies that are truly at war with the lordship of Christ. We proclaim the gospel of repentance from sin. And sin includes Marxism. Sin includes covetousness. Sin includes the worship of the state. When you come to Christ, you come to Christ as king. And that is the word that we're called to proclaim. 
And you see that in the prophets over and over again. They're not worried about winning people to listen. They're worried about speaking the truth of God's word. And we know we should do that in love. We should do that with wisdom. This is not just going out there bashing people with the Bible. But it must also be with courage. It must also be, thus saith the Lord, repent. Repent of these specific things. Look at the prophets over and over again. They list it. God is not impressed with your offerings because you're doing this and this and this and this and this and this. So repent and do this and this and this and this and this. Why? Work salvation? No. Submission to the king. By faith in Christ. And it is only by faith in Christ because you can submit to the king all you want in your own efforts and you will not succeed. You cannot atone for your sin. But if you let Marxism in, you undermine the gospel because Marxism is a gospel of atonement by your own works. By your own penance. Your own atonement. And there's no salvation there. There's no freedom from guilt there. It is only the Son that can set us free and only the Son that can set nations free. So one concluding thought, and this is from the book of Habakkuk. Once we have done our duty, what do we say? What do we say once we've proclaimed God's word, we've preached the gospel, we're seeking to be faithful in every area, and we are trusting in the Lord. This is really returning to point number one of trusting in the Lord. Turn to the book of Habakkuk, one of my favorite passages, and I think very, very appropriate to the days in which we live. There it is. Habakkuk chapter 3. So Habakkuk, is a, it's a message of judgment from God. And at the end, what does Habakkuk say? He says, I heard and my inward parts trembled. At the sound of my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones and in my place I tremble because I must wait quietly for the day of distress for the people to arise who will invade us. Now, Habakkuk had a specific prophecy from God. We don't have a specific prophecy from God, but we can see judgment coming. We can see a nation in rebellion to God. We can see us reaping the fruit of refusal to submit to Christ. Republicans and Democrats refusing to honor Christ as king over all. And what is that? That, that leads to this perspective that Habakkuk has here. My inward parts are trembling because I'm waiting quietly for the day of distress. I see the train wreck coming. I see the divine hammer of judgment dropping on the land that I love, and in my place I tremble, because I must wait quietly for the day of distress, for the people to arise who will invade us. So then what? Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, though all the restaurants we like close down... And though the economy crash, and though there are riots in the streets, and though there are terrifying videos circulating on Facebook of things going on in our nation that look like they're going on in Iraq, although the government be taken over by despots, although Biden win the election, although Trump win the election, (laughs) while we're at it, continue the list. What is the thing that scares you? What is the thing that we are losing now? What is the idol that God in his mercy is tearing down out of your heart? To clear your vision, to see Christ. Although I lose my job, although I can't fellowship with family because of COVID, although I, although I, although I, yet I will exult in Yahweh. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord Yahweh is my strength 
and he has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on my high places. We rejoice in the Lord. We do not need to fear because he who sits in the heavens laughs. He is the king. And so we have one message for the world. Kiss the sun. Kiss the sun, his wrath to turn. We have no fear because we serve the God who is on the throne. Amen. Amen. Amen.